A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey guys, thanks for joining me today. This is the second video in a series of four videos that are designed to help us understand the gospel and designed to help us learn how to share the gospel more effectively. In the first video, I point out that we never want to make the gospel seem complicated. Jesus said it's so simple that a child can trust him. In fact, he said there's a sense in which we must all be like little children before we can even enter the kingdom of God. But in spite of the simplicity of the gospel, our enemy, the devil, has created a lot of confusion about it by suggesting new definitions for some of the key words. Words like sin and faith and grace and even words like God and Jesus. And so we need to be aware of the places where Satan has confused some people so that we can clarify God's truth to them. In the previous video, we considered two diagnostic questions, questions designed to help us and others too understand where they are spiritually. Are they trusting Jesus? Are they trusting Jesus but struggling for assurance of their salvation? Do they think they're trusting Jesus, but they're really not? Maybe they already realize they're not trusting Jesus, but these questions will help us understand where they are spiritually speaking. After we've asked the diagnostic questions and decided it would be a good thing to share the gospel, we move on to an outline of the gospel. Now, I probably ought to say this also. Be flexible here. These are tools that you can put together and use at any given time different ways. For example, sometimes the Lord will give you an opportunity to share the gospel, and you'll realize, I don't really need to ask the questions. I just need to share the gospel. That's fine. Let the Holy Spirit lead you how he wants you to do this. But I will emphasize and tell you that often those diagnostic questions will really help us. And, and, it, and they can also help the person we're talking with, or persons if we got several, but to get a better idea of where they are, spiritually speaking. EE outlines the gospel into five headings. Each of the five headings has two subpoints. Five headings, each one has two subpoints. Here they are. The first heading is called grace. The second one is man. The third one is God. The fourth one is Christ. And the fifth one is faith. And under the grace heading, there are two subpoints. Number one, heaven is a free gift. Number two, it cannot be earned or deserved. The two subpoints under man are man is a sinner. And he cannot save himself. The two subpoints under God are God is merciful and loving, and God is just. The two subpoints under Christ are who he is and what he did. And finally, the two subpoints under faith are what faith is not and what faith is. Now, listen. Again, I'm going to stress this, probably stress it again before I'm through. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm very, very happy if you just happen to be watching this video out of curiosity just to hear what's said. I certainly wouldn't be upset if you chose not to pause it at all at any place. Okay? I want to make sure that's clear. It's okay not to pause it. But listen, if you are one who's very serious about learning as much as you can how to be an effective tool how to be an effective instrument in the Holy Spirit's hands to share the gospel. If you want to be as useful to the Lord as possible when he gives you opportunities to share the gospel, I would urge you 
to, to pause the video. You know, right here would be a good place to pause the video and see if you can repeat those from memory, all five headings and all ten subpoints. If you can't do it, well, it's easy to hit rewind, isn't it? Replay it again until you got it from memory. Or you can take a screenshot. I'll have this on the screen, I'm sure. Take a screenshot of the list and then look at it until you've committed it to memory. As time goes on, of course, we're going to add scriptures. We're going to add illustrations. We're going to add transitions to flesh out this outline. So there's a lot more to come. So today, I want us to spend just a few minutes looking at the first heading, which is grace. Subpoints, heaven is a free gift, and it cannot be earned or deserved. When I share the gospel in real life with people, I, I usually share those two subpoints together just in one sentence, almost in one breath. Here's the good news. I said, we, I thought I had good news. Here's the good news. The Bible says that heaven is a free gift. It's not something we can earn or deserve. And there are two verses to be memorized here. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but listen, but the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the other verse is in Ephesians, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the, look at this, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. These verses are very clear. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Very clear. But listen, guys, you got to understand this. It goes against the grain of our fallen human nature. It also goes against the grain of the other religions in the world. There's this strong urge in the natural man that says, I have to be good enough. I have to do some stuff to make myself acceptable to God. Some of that probably comes from the fact that our parents told us over and over again, you got to be good. You got to be good. You need to be good. If you're good, you'll get a reward. Things will go better for you if you're good. Be good. And so we tried very hard to be good, to please our parents. On the other hand, if we were bad, we knew we'd be punished. And so there's this tendency to transfer that kind of thinking from our parents to God himself. And we try very hard to be good for God. <laughs> we think if we can just do more good than bad, then maybe God will accept me. You know, the Muslims actually have a teaching that their God, they call him Allah, that he has a giant cosmic balance scale. And when they die, all their good deeds will be placed on one side, all their bad deeds on the other side. And if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, I get to go to heaven. Paradise, I guess they would say. And if the bad deeds outweigh the good deeds, oh no, I have to go to hell. And a lot of people think like that. It's very, very common thinking. But in the Bible, God makes it clear that he's not that way. It doesn't work like that. We may think that if we can just do more good than bad, or if we can just be better than we used to be, or if we can just be better than most people are, then surely God will let us in. You know, that can be human thinking. We may think that our salvation is mainly something even that God has to do, but we have to add something to it in order to obtain it. That's not right. Astonishingly, in the Bible, God says, that's not right. That's not true. Eternal life has to be a free gift. Here's an illustration you might like to share at some point. Suppose you had a friend who's extremely gifted at carpentry and woodworking. 
And suppose he'd spent years making for you an exquisite, beautiful cabinet. He's traveled around the world to get the finest wood available. He spent a huge portion of his life savings in order to be able to craft and build this beautiful cabinet. Finally, the day comes when he's ready to present it to you. So he arranges a very climactic unveiling, and he invites all your closest friends and family, and they're all waiting to see your reaction. And when the moment arrives, there's the cabinet, but it's covered in a sheet, and you're standing there looking at it, wondering what's going on, and he pulls off the sheet that covers this amazing gift, and there it is, beautiful. And suppose the first thing you did was to grab a piece of sandpaper and head towards the cabinet to do your part. <laughs> well, of course, he would stop you. He would say, what are you doing? You don't have anything to add to this. It's finished. It's perfect, just like it is. What on earth would think you should take a piece of sandpaper to it? <laughs> well, well, salvation is a little bit like that. It's a beautiful gift from God. It's perfect. And when I get it into my head that I have to add something to it, my own good work somehow to God's perfect gift, it's like taking sandpaper to improve that perfect cabinet. Here's another illustration, very similar. Suppose your friend were to save up a lot of money over a long period of time in order to buy you an extremely expensive gift. And suppose he finally was able to purchase it, so he goes out and buys it for you. And when he gives it to you, you look at this fabulous gift and you pull out your billfold and you say, here, let me at least pay you a couple of bucks for it. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be a terrible insult to your friend? Of course it would. Well, it's just as insulting to God for us to think we can add our pitiful little good works to his perfect gift of salvation. So the Bible teaches that heaven is a free gift. It cannot be earned or deserved. Now, we need to move into a discussion of the second heading, which is man. But in EE, what we learn is that it's good to have a transition sentence in mind so it won't seem too abrupt when we move to the next point. So here's a typical transition sentence. You might make one of your own, but you could choose this one if you want to. It helps us move from talking about grace to talking about man. So heaven is a free gift. We can't earn it or deserve it. And we can see why it has to be that way when we understand what the Bible tells us about ourselves, about mankind. There's a, that's a transition sentence. So we're in the man subject now, and there are two subpoints. First of all, the Bible teaches that all of us are sinners. Romans 3.23, for all, A-L-L, -L, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we think about the fact that sin is doing anything that God says we must not do, and sin is not doing things that God says we must do, most people, I think, don't really have any trouble agreeing with this. We've all told lies. We know that. We've all been selfish. We've all coveted after things that don't belong to us. We've all lost our tempers. We've all been guilty of gossip. There have been many, many times when we disobeyed what Jesus said was the first and greatest commandment of all. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Oh, yeah, we've, we've sinned. Now, I know some people may try to claim that they don't sin, but what they're really doing is redefining sin. You know what I mean? I mean, they may feel innocent and they claim they're innocent because they want to limit their definition of sin to things like murder or rape 
or child molesting or bank robbery, you know, bad, bad stuff like that. They say, I'm not done any of that, so I guess I'm good to go. I'm not a sinner. A lot of people try to think like that. But the Bible makes it clear all disobedience to God is sin, and we've all sinned, and we've all sinned a lot. Here's an illustration you might want to use to make that point. Some people say that their conscience is clear, but you know what? When we look at their lives really closely, we realize they should realize there's a lot of sin in their life. Here's what happens. Psychologists tell us that 99% of the things that we've done wrong in our lives, we don't remember. We put those things out of our memories. There are two different ways we do that. One's called repression. The other's called suppression. When we intentionally put bad things we've done out of our minds, it's called suppression. When our minds just unconsciously kind of automatically forget the things we've done, it's called repression. So if someone claims to have a clear conscience, we need to realize, and they need to realize really, what they're really saying is, I've got a bad memory. <laughs> they've forgotten most of the sin they've committed. Here's another illustration. Suppose that you were good enough that you only sinned on average, let's say 10 times a day. No more than 10 times a day do you things like you forget to love God or you forget to give thanks to Him as He blesses you all through the day or maybe seek wisdom from Him when you have to make a decision. Only 10 times a day do you get irritated at somebody for not doing what you wanted them to do or only 10 times a day do you act selfishly or do you forget to encourage somebody or love somebody that needs encouragement and love. You'd be a pretty good person 10 times a day. In fact, let's suppose you're even better than that. Suppose you were so good you only sinned five times a day. Actually, let's pretend you're even better than that. You only sin on average three times a day. Three times a day. Most people feel like, man, I'm practically a saint. <laughs> three times a day, only three times a day. But think about this. Over a year's time, that's over a thousand sins. And over a lifetime, if you live to be an old person, it might be 70,000 sins or more. Now, think about that. Think about what it would be like to stand before a human judge. And that judge were to say, well, let me see what the charges are here. Good grief. You have 70,000 transgressions on your record. Whoa, 70,000 violations of the law? <laughs> you wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> Not in that court. And God's more just than any human judge, you see. Now, here's where things get really sticky for a lot of people. A lot of people will happily admit that they've sinned. They realize they've sinned, and everybody else. They know they're not perfect, and they know nobody else is either. Most people recognize that. Here's the problem. Many, many people don't realize how serious that is. That's the problem. So the first sub-point under the man heading is man is a sinner. But the second one is... Man cannot save himself. There are three verses that are very powerful here. The first verse is one we've already looked at from the book of Romans. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not a slap on the wrist. The wages of sin is not, you shouldn't be doing that. The wages of sin is death. And not only that, but all sin results in spiritual death. Not just the things we think of as really, really bad sins. Not just what, in our estimation, when the bad outweighs the good or something. The wages of sin, all sin, is death. The second verse is from Galatians. 
for as many as are of the works of the law, in other words, people who are trying to keep the law to please God, are under the curse. For it's written, listen, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do all the things that are written in the book of the law. You hear what he's saying? We're all under a curse. None of us is able to continue to do all the things that are written in the book of the law. None of us. We're all guilty. And listen, guys, don't just slide over that word curse. That's an awful word. It means to be under God's wrath. Jesus said that those who are the cursed would be cast into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what Jesus said. The third verse is from James. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. James is making the point. Again, we may think that our sins are small, no big deal, but the Holy Spirit says through James, even if we offend even in one point, we're guilty of all. We've broken all of God's law because we have rebelled against God, you see. And I know to some people, they say, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Listen, we need to be very careful here. There's a book, there's a, there's a verse in the book of Proverbs that I think can help us sober up about maybe the things that we've chosen to believe might be horribly wrong. One of the horribly wrong ideas that a lot of people believe is that people think, well, when I'm basically good in my own eyes, God will surely let me into heaven. Seems right to them, you see. Seems logical to them. It's a deception, though. It's not true. And in Proverbs 14, 12, God warns us about those kind of deceptions. He says, there is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We cannot live our lives, guys, are you listening to me? We cannot live our lives based on things that seem right to us. We must learn to live our lives based on truth, what God reveals to us and teaches us in his word. There's several illustrations that could help us to better understand just how serious sin really is. Here's one. Suppose you're going to have some friends over for supper and you decided to stir up a nice big omelet for them. So you get out a big bowl and you start breaking eggs into it. One egg, two eggs, three eggs, four eggs, five eggs, six. Ooh, you break that sixth egg and it turns out to be rotten. Have you ever smelled a rotten egg? <laughs> it's awful. And so you look at that bowl full of nice, fresh eggs, and you say, well, it's only one egg. I've got all those good eggs in there. Surely one bad one wouldn't be such a big deal, so you just stir it in with the rest. <laughs> would you serve that to your guests? Of course you wouldn't. Would you eat it yourself? Of course you wouldn't. And yet that's what we try to do with God. We say, okay, God, uh, I know there's some rottenness in me, but there's a lot of good, too. So would, that little bit of rottenness wouldn't matter, would it? And God says, yes, it does. You better believe it matters. It matters more than you can possibly imagine. There's another illustration, very similar to that illustration. It makes the same point, but you, you might like this one. We want to use it. Suppose you had a friend come into your house who's been working outside. It's been a very hot day. He's sweating. He's hot and he's thirsty. And he comes in and says, could you give me a glass of water, please? And you say, oh, sure, I've got some cold water in the fridge. And so you get a glass and you pour it some, some water in there. And then you say, now before you drink it, it's, it's, it's obviously good, clear, crystal clear water. Before you drink it, I'm just going to drop one tiny little drop of raw sewage into it. 
there. How's that? I mean, it's 99.9%. That's pure water, right? Only a little drop of raw sewage. But that drop of sewage makes it unacceptable. You see? can make somebody sick pretty quick. And that's the way our lives are. Sin contaminates our entire life. Just like that drop of sewage contaminates that water. Any sin at all makes us unacceptable to God. We're in rebellion against God. Here's another one I like to share. It's called the broad jump illustration. You suppose that everybody in the world is running away from some great danger. And they come to the edge of a cliff over here. And their only hope is to jump from this edge of a cliff to this edge, the other on the other side of the, the gorge. There's a gorge down here with rocks. And they got to jump from here to here in order to escape this great danger. The only problem is it's 100 feet across there. Do you have any idea what the world's record is for a ball jump? <laughs> well, it's not 100 feet. <laughs> it's more like 30 feet. So you got some people who, who maybe like the athletes, some people are really, really good. And they can get out there 30 feet or so. Nobody's going to make 100 feet, though. Some people are just really wretched sinners. Some people are like me. They might jump a few feet. Some people, all they can do is fall over the edge. But the point is, nobody, nobody makes it. Nobody's good enough to go 100 feet, you see. God's standard is perfection. Nobody's good enough. Everybody's sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's what he says. We've all sinned. Here's another illustration you might want to use. Many years ago, I lived in Florida a couple of years. And I bought a house there that had a lemon tree in the front yard. Now, suppose I'd said, I don't really want a lemon tree. I'd rather have an orange tree. And so I look out there at my lemon tree. And, Boy, I wish it was an orange tree. So one night, what I do is I sneak out there at night and I take off all the lemons on the lemon tree. And I take a bunch of oranges that I bought at the grocery store and I tie them on the tree. So now when people drive by, they think, wow, that guy's got an orange tree. If I've got friends that come in, if they don't look too close, they say, wow, got an orange tree in your front yard. Yep. <laughs> but I know that's not really an orange tree. You can't change the nature of a lemon tree just by tying some oranges on it, right? Well, in the same way, I can't change my nature just by trying to do some good things that may look good to me, may look, make me look like a Christian. My entire nature has to be changed, you see. I can't, I can't be good enough to get to heaven. Here's another one, similar idea. Suppose that the U.S. government hired you to be a spy in China and you spent years training and you train and you learn the language until you can speak it like a natural born Chinese person. You're probably not from East Tennessee. You'd probably never get rid of the accent, but let's pretend. <laughs> and, and you don't have any accent at all. You just sound like a natural born Chinese person. And they teach you all the customs and they teach you all the manners of the Chinese people so you know exactly how to behave. They even do some extensive plastic surgery on you so you really do look like a Chinese person. And sure enough, you eventually go to China and you live there for years and you fool them all. Everybody thinks you're Chinese. But you know they're not. Not really. Same thing can happen in the Christian life, guys. There are people who can look a whole lot like a Christian, but down inside, the heart's not been changed yet. See what I'm saying? We can do a lot of things that look pretty good. They may appear good to a lot of people, but the truth is, all of us are sinners. 
And no matter how many good things I try to do, no matter how much I try to act like a Christian, my sin is just too serious. No matter how hard I try, I cannot save myself. Salvation is something that God has to do. It has to be a gift. Okay, for time's sake, I think we better stop here. We'll pick it up here in the next video. Just remember, grace, heaven is a free gift. It cannot be earned or deserved. Man is a sinner. He cannot save himself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for anyone who's watched this far, and I pray you'd help them to have the stamina to watch two more videos. But I pray, Lord, that you'd be working conviction. If anyone's really not trusted Jesus, that they would understand these things maybe better than they ever have before that heaven has to be a free gift, that it's not something we can earn or deserve, that we are all sinners and we cannot save ourselves. We can never be good enough. We can never fake it. We can never pretend and, and change ourselves that way, Lord. So help us to internalize these things well and help us to be able to communicate these things with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.